just before we uh, get into the meat of the show, I think every every show starts with you saying, "Just before we get into the meat of the show." <laughs> <laughs> just wind things back a little bit about what what actually happened so your landlord suddenly decided that she needed or he needed the house back well without going into too much detail one reason or another they had to sell it Mm. and they have their their own reasons for that which are completely valid and it wasn't just a, a sort of random capricious like Somebody offered them a good price and they decided to boot us out. It was nothing like that. Like they, mm. they had good reasons, which I'm not going to go into because it's their private life. But they, they were selling it. And so we had to leave because we were tenants just, just renting their property. But what, and so, what kind of... Surely there must have been something in your contract to protect you in a situation like that, like at least a few months' notice or something? 30 days. 30 days. Yeah. So the, the notice period is 30 days. That's a uh, classic Timmer line, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, you know, it is what it is. It's quite short. Right. The property market around here is extremely competitive. Okay. And I tend to favor the owners just by the nature of the way it is. But they were nice about it. You know, it wasn't nasty or anything. Mm. Like they, they understood our situation. It wasn't their ideal situation either. They liked us as tenants and they kind of wanted to keep us on. But for one reason or another, it didn't work out. And they said we could stay beyond that 30-day period and we could stay basically until it sells, right? Mm. <laughs> Which, how long it takes to sell, who knows? But but that beyond, you know, they were going to have to start tidying it up and maybe painting some of the walls a little bit and getting it ready to sell and then having done that, they were going to start having people come to actually view the place. Mm. And so we could stay, but we had to be available to open it up and let people come around and view it. Mm. And so we thought the easiest thing to do would be just to find somewhere else as quickly as possible mm. so that we don't have to worry about it and we can just get our stuff out. And it's easier for them, it's easier for us. The only thing is that it was a mad rush to try and find a place, and it was a little bit of a stressful couple of weeks. Yeah, it must have been pretty uh, upsetting. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, we were pretty settled, and we had sort of a plan Mm. to stay for maybe another year, and then, you know, maybe consider buying, maybe consider moving on to something else. But, you know, we we pretty much had an idea that we were going to be there at least another year. So it was a shock. But, you know, one thing for this very last minute... Uh, scramble uh, kind of situation is that it doesn't last very long mm. <laughs> <laughs> like by by definition right we have we have to do it quickly and so yeah it was a lot of you know i mean we went i think we went pretty much every day to view properties right during during the week weekends we did like five or six in a day and then during the week we'd do like one or two every day before and after work well that sounds like an that sounds like a excellent situation as far as availability goes there's a lot of places but they get snapped up very quickly yeah and the competition is quite high for them right there are i think also we had quite a few sort of constraints so i think if we'd been less fussy we could actually very easily have found a place mm. but we had a very nice... The place that we were before was a, was very nice. It was a nice place. We really liked it there. Mm. And so we didn't want to have to sort of downgrade, mm. especially since most places 
cost more money. Like we we were actually getting a really good deal. I, I thought we were already, but I can appreciate that more now mm. that we were getting a really good price on the place that we were. And so we were reviewing all these places that are like $500 a month more and not as good. And it's like, that's a bit frustrating Mm. right so we kind of wanted to wait until we found a place that was at least as good (laughs) right and and the place that we found was you know a little bit more but not too much more and in its way is nicer i think it's a little bit bigger and it's got this nice little uh sort of patio garden kind of area whereas Mm. before we were on like a fourth floor flat so we had just like a balcony Uh, and it's got a garage which is a big deal so, yeah, so I don't know. I'm pretty happy. I'm still surrounded by boxes. Hmm. But that's that's why we couldn't record a couple of weeks ago. The cats, uh, the cats are okay? The cats ha- seem to have adjusted pretty quickly. Hmm. They were the very last thing we brought over. So they were very confused on the day of the move, which was just a couple of days ago as we record. Hmm. They were, you know, they'd get locked in the bathroom as we were taking stuff out and then every you know every few hours we'd let them out for a run around and there's fewer and fewer things in the house and they're just kind of looking around going but but i was going to run under that thing and now <laughs> that thing is gone <laughs> right. and and so and then at the very end obviously it was completely empty and they're just kind of and the only thing left to hide behind is blinds <laughs> and so that's what they're <laughs> scrambling for the blind but yeah but we, we brought them over and they kind of recommend that you get that you introduce them slowly right. to new places. So they've started off again in just the bathroom, which is where their litter box is, is going to be anyway. Mm. And so that's a good place to have as like a home base for them. This the downstairs bathroom here is much smaller than previously, so it's a little bit. I feel a bit bad for them mm. but, when they're locked in there. But uh, but it has got a a sink like a basin that is the perfect shape for a cat to curl up and fill. Mm with its <laughs> with its body mm. you know because cats are basically liquid mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so that's fine and then we've so we opened the door once we'd cleared out the living room a little bit and sort of unpacked some of the boxes there we opened the door and let them explore that a little bit so far we're keeping them constrained just to those two rooms right but we'll see how it goes we're still we're still getting used to it ourselves Learning all the little quirks. Has the commute changed for you? I get on one bus stop earlier. Oh, that's good. This new place is 10 minutes walk from our previous apartment. Oh, that's great. It's incredibly close. That's good, though. I mean, that... that... So nothing changes. Yeah. Yeah. Our our routine is is basically identical. That definitely helps with the transition that you uh, not only having to get used to a new place, but a new neighborhood is, uh, is much kind of harder than... Yeah being sort of in the same area oh we're just over that our previous place was just down there you know you, yeah. it's much uh, easier to get acclimatized we're much closer to the ground now because this place is more of a townhouse uh, so it's like it's not i mean it's got houses on either both walls are shared mm. but it's it's more like a house than an apartment it's got two stories and it's got a little patio and a garage in front of it mm. uh, whereas previously we were up on the the fourth floor and so we get a lot less street noise now because the street noise would sort of, there was nothing really blocking us. There was nothing between us and the street when we were on the fourth floor. Mm. But we get a lot more noise, like we get a lot less noise from cars and a lot more noise from people oh, now. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it's an interesting, but, it, but it's a nice place. I'm, I'm quite happy. I'm looking forward to having everything unpacked and getting all that done. Yeah, that's the thing about moving. It's one of those processes you wish that... Uh, 
life had a fast forward button that you could just sort of press fast forward and zip forward to the time in yeah. the future when everything's unpacked and everything's settled and you're into your regular routine again. Yeah. I mean, I must admit, my wife has done the vast majority of the work in packing and probably will do the same in unpacking. Mm. I was very good at carrying things around. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, while I was at work, uh, she was like working much harder than I probably was in mm. my cushy office job. <laughs> um, do you um, have a lot of stuff? Uh, yes. Well, quite a lot of stuff. I mean, when we came here from Japan, they packed for us. And mm. I think that was 80 odd boxes. 80. That, and, then, and then obviously furniture separate. Actually, on that occasion, maybe they included the furniture in the count. Mm. Anyway, this time we packed ourselves. And it was about, I think it was 54 boxes. Oh, that's and then bad. furniture. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, moving companies will always overpack. It, you should have seen the, uh, I have a photo of the, the literal mountain of wrapping paper that we had mm. we had extracted from all of the all of our <laughs> and we were we're a family of four and we had what was it like 80 or 90 boxes mm. so you clearly have too much junk Danny but anyway the um we had uh, this I mean it was taller than I am like this mountain of paper so mm. you know that's actually quite a quite a task to dispose of like a mountain of paper that high right but right. anyway but i guess that you know they're, they're liable for the stuff that they've packed that's so, right that's right yeah they want to make sure it's well protected mm. speaking of moving are you on mastodon yet uh do you know what mastodon is that's a, isn't that a death metal band <laughs> it is but that's is not the mastodon i was referring to oh. it's also the name of an elephant a species of elephant but no, Mastodon is a service a little bit like Twitter. Oh, okay. Well, a lot like Twitter, right? But it's federated, uh, so in a sense, it works more like email. In that, Twitter is just one central service, Twitter dot com, right? That everyone uses, and they're in charge of the whole thing, right? Mastodon is an open source piece of software, essentially, that anybody can take, and they can run their own instance, and it'll be sort of like a mini Twitter, but they're all connected. So you can follow anyone from any of the other instances. Uh, I'm very confused. So I just put Mastodon into DuckDuckGo and it says, Mastodons are any species of extinct proboscidians in the genus Mammoth, distantly related to elephants that inhabited North and Central America during the late Miocene. Well, that's what I meant by a type of elephant. I guess that's real-time follow-up. Correcting, <laughs> correcting my mistake. Speaking of follow-up, I made a big mistake a couple of a couple of episodes ago. It has been pointed out to us by a long-time friend of the show that I I talked about the three rules of robotics and said that they were Arthur C. Clarke, and they weren't. They were Isaac Asimov. See, I'm is. I'm a little suspicious about that because I do specifically remember having a t conversation with you about it being not. Arthur C. Clarke, but actually Asimov, because I think I can remember saying to you, mm. yeah, that's what I thought, but I didn't say anything at the time because I wasn't sure too. Uh, well, I don't remember. Maybe we've already followed up. I did quickly listen to the beginning of last episode to make sure that we hadn't already mentioned this, mm. and we didn't mention it, So unless we mentioned it quite a way in. Anyway, that's, that's by the by, I made a mistake. I don't feel silly about it because I honestly <laughs> didn't know the difference. <laughs> They both, you know. It's one of them. They've both got an A in the name and they're both right about robots and space and shit. Right. So I'm... 
Yeah, you know, they're all the same, really. <laughs> I consider myself correct. We need like an audio search engine for all of our past past Station 13 episodes, like something you could type in a phrase. And... Yeah, some big podcasts with a large fan base have fans who actually transcribe the podcast so that you can do a text search on it. Well. But I, th- I think we may be over overreaching a little bit <laughs> asking for that. Anyway, Mastodon. There's been this big migration to Mastodon over the last week or so, okay. which you may or may not have heard of. Because there have been a couple, a couple of controversies on Twitter. Have you heard about those? No, see, I'll inform you in a moment uh, in our next topic, but uh, I've been kind of off the grid, so to speak, for the past two weeks. Oh, so. have you? Oh, okay. Um, so Twitter has had two kind of... I mean, Twitter has a controversy every other week, it seems, but mm. there's been a couple of large-ish ones recently. The first one, which happened a week or two ago, was... Uh, are you familiar with Alex Jones and Infowars? No. Alex Jones is a conspiracy theorist here in America who has sort of got quite a large following and has this program called Infowars, mm. which may even be broadcast on cable somewhere. I'm not sure, but it's certainly on the internet. And he's, you know, he's big into all these uh, dumb conspiracies about Obama's place of birth and things in the water turning people gay and just nonsense conspiracies, right? Right. But he's be- he's become quite controversial recently because he's, I guess he's quite widely known and some people actually believe it, I suppose. And anyway, I don't know the exact details of what he did, but on one of his shows, uh, he kind of crossed a line in terms of, you know, from general conspiracy-oriented nativism to actual hate speech. Right. And so Apple, I think, was the first, and then a number of other places, Facebook and Google via YouTube, all pulled his content. Well, Apple just delisted him from the podcast search engine, Mm -hmm. and YouTube took his videos off YouTube, and Facebook took all his stuff off Facebook as well. And as this was going on, Twitter decided not to do that. Mm. So they made a post about how they're not going to remove him from Twitter because he hasn't broken any of their specific rules. I think this this particular, whatever he said that was hate speech, he said it on a video, which maybe doesn't count as being on Twitter, even though I think he linked to the video on Twitter. But anyway, one reason or another, they didn't pull his content when everyone else was and so people got very angry about that. Mm. So that was one one that was last week's controversy. Mm. This week's controversy has been that Twitter removed a load of legacy APIs that third party Twitter clients were using. Ah. Now I did hear about that. Okay. Mm. So that has and do you use a third party Twitter client? Do you use Tweetbot or something? Well, actually I used to. I was a, a big fan of Twitterific. Mm-hmm. Uh still am. Uh, but right. I think that actual removal of the API for the third-party apps happened maybe two, a bit more than two weeks ago, I think it was. It, it came into effect on the 16th of August. Okay, because but... I read a notice from Twitterific mm-hmm. about that because obviously they were informed mm. much earlier. Right, uh, yeah. And so for the past few weeks, I've been doing my best to get used to the actual official Twitter app <laughs> with, right. with, the, with, right. the, with the thought in mind that perhaps, you know, one day I'm going to be forced to get used to it because my beloved Twitterific, Twitterific is going to become extinct. Well, yeah. they. I mean, the APIs that they removed, it's not the entire 
of every API, although you know there are those that are worried that that may happen eventually. Mm. It removes certain features, right. very useful features, like seeing your activity on your account and getting push notifications, which doesn't work anymore. So yeah. Twitterific and so forth will have to manually poll every couple of minutes. Mind you, there are already... Uh, a number of features that the official Twitter app has that third-party apps have never had in recent years. Right. You know, right. for example, uh, sending group messages, like sending pri- direct messages to a group of people instead of to one person. Oh, I didn't know that was possible. I haven't used the Twitter app in years. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the polls, of course. That's yeah. the one that always seems funny when you're using a third-party client because everyone just has like a random question floating in the air that never seems to be answered. Mm. And it's because on the Twitter client, there's actually a, a multiple choice underneath it that you're supposed to answer. Right, right. Took me ages to figure out what was going on there. Yeah, the main difference that I'm that I'm not enjoying about the official Twitter app is that it also shows you extra things in your timeline, like, you know, in case you missed it kind of things, Yeah. as well as uh, promoted things, yeah. which is fair enough. I mean, they've got to advertise, but also... Um, it also shows you selected tweets that people you follow liked. Yes. And I don't like that very much because it makes, you know, it makes my timeline a little bit less relevant to... And it blurs the distinction between liking and retweeting. Like, there's a reason there are two buttons, right? right? The retweet one is the one where you want to share it with all followers right. and the like one is the one where you just want to say that you like it. Yeah. Yeah, that annoys me because I actually... I make a choice when I'm choosing, you know, I, I look at a tweet... And I'm like, I want to share this with everyone. Mm. I will retweet it. You know, I, I'm making a conscious choice. I don't want to mess up everyone's timeline with something that I personally found mildly amusing. Yeah, but, exactly. I've, you know, isn't feel... funny enough to share with everyone. I, I will say that the algorithm that chooses which things to show me that my uh, friends have liked is pretty good. Mm. Like in, in the most cases, they are, you know, fairly relevant. When I say relevant, uh, as I've said before, I use Twitter purely for work purposes. So... Mm. They are. They do tend to be game development related, which is great, or like music production related, which is good. Mm. But again, you know, you really have to look carefully, and it's a bit confusing. You know, I, like I said before, I made it a policy to only follow people on Twitter that I've actually met, and so when I'm going down the timeline and I'm seeing these things coming up from people that I really have no idea who they are, mm. uh, and you look really, it's not a retweet, and you look really, really closely, and it says, you know. Daniel P. Wright liked this. Right. It's like, well, you know, right. <laughs> thanks, Denny. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, Mastodon, I, I've just had a quick look at the blurb on their joinmastodon.org site, and I'm really kind of confused about what this is. So, can you break it down for me? Right. Yeah. So, I've been using it for the last few days. It hasn't yet, I don't think, quite got the critical mass to to really take over from Twitter, but if, if a couple of sort of big people with lots of followers start using it. I could see it happening. It seems that this feels bigger to me, this sort of movement towards Mastodon feels bigger than any of the previous ones, right? Because this has happened a lot of times before with Twitter and with Facebook as well. You've got like Ello and all these other services that are trying. Mastodon has been around for a few years and I almost joined it last year. And there's a reason I didn't, uh, which I'll get to in a moment. But it does feel... I don't know. It starts to feel like it's gaining some traction. So I'm kind of hopeful. Okay, so I'm looking at the site with the stats at the moment. Mm. So there's a few things I don't understand. Firstly, first is a broader question, and that is why would the average Twitter user care? And the second question is, 
how is it different and how does it feel different from the previous sort of, you know, trends moving away? Because Elo is the best one that I can remember because I remember that came out and everybody was like, oh, have you got, got into Elo yet? Right. And you went there and it was like, oh, yeah, okay, it looks kind of like Twitter, a few little things here and there that are a bit different. Nice graphic design. Okay, yeah, I guess I'll join up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it consequently just sort of, you know, seemed to fizzle out. Fizzled out. But I'm just looking. It fizzled out extremely. I mean, from from my memory of Allo, it fizzled out in less time than I have already spent using Mastodon, mm. which is three days. <laughs> okay, so I don't I don't understand. Let's let's step back a, a second. Right, Mastodon is a microblogging short update social network like Twitter. It's very like Twitter. The character limit is 500, which is double Twitter's new fancy long character limit. So it's quite a bit longer than Twitter's. Mm. But it's essentially the same idea, right? Right. The biggest difference, and this is the thing that actually was the reason I didn't end up joining last year, is that it's got these different instances. And the when you join an instance, in one sense, it does it doesn't really matter because you can follow anybody from any instance so it's it's not like a problem if you join an instance and then later you find your friend has joined another instance that won't be a problem but the pool of people you get introduced to will be different depending on which instance you join because you'll kind of naturally find yourself there's a timeline for your instance that you can read so you'll find yourself with other people from your instance so that's one thing The other thing is that each instance is managed completely separately Mm. and can establish its own set of rules. And this has been the big thing for the people that left Twitter because of the Alex Jones thing. Right. Because there's a lot of people who've been frustrated with Twitter's handling of things like Alex Jones and also just straight up Nazis, (laughs) like, like actual Nazis. And, you know, Twitter has been very reticent about banning a lot of sort of extremists in that sense, Mm. while at the same time seeming to arbitrarily ban completely reasonable people who happen to, like, use a bad word in the wrong place or something. Right. So it's like it's, it's not had a very good sort of balance there. And so a lot of people have been frustrated with Twitter's moderation strategy. Mm. With Mastodon, each instance is moderated differently and has a different set of rules which they are allowed to publish. You know, they, they generally publish on their kind of homepage. Mm. And so you can choose to join an instance where you like the rules of that instance, right? Right. So you can say, like, okay, I want this instance which is really strict on porn and hate speech and it's just a nice, happy, innocent place to go. Mm. Or you can say, I want to go to this instance which is just porn all the time (laughs) so or whatever right right. but you can you can choose to control that and instances so you can also block certain instances so if you're on the happy innocent instance you may decide that you want to block the entire of the porn all the time instance so you don't have to you don't have to block individual users from there you can just block that whole instance did you say that you can you can follow people from any instance even if you're only uh, joined up to one? That is correct, okay, yes. Okay, I see. Yeah. And your instance can also, the managers of your instance can also choose to block an entire other instance. I am a bit sceptical already. For myself, yes, I think this sounds great. And I like the idea. 
However, for something that's going to have lasting kind of influence mm. to get the mass people away from something like Twitter or even Facebook, because mm. you know the whole uh, delete Facebook thing has, has been going on for a while, mm -hmm. it already sounds like it's a bit complicated. Like, firstly, okay. I want to join up because all my friends are joining this Mastodon thing and they're asking me, have you got on to Mastodon yet? And I want to get my mm -hmm. fancy username. So mm -hmm. I'm going to sign up. So you sign up, but then like, how does somebody who doesn't really care about any of this, how does, how does somebody choose which instance to join to begin with? That is exactly the problem that I had last year when I said that I didn't join last year. Mm. The reason was, is because the moment... That, uh, you know, this sort of thing happened. There was some Twitter controversy. I can't remember what it was. And somebody mentioned Mastodon and it sounded interesting. So I thought, okay, I'll join. And then I heard about all these instances and I got all sort of confused. And I was like, but which one should I join? And I started researching them. And then like my sort of half hour of free time that I had ran out mm. and I hadn't yet joined. And then it just never occurred to me to go back to it, right? right. That is definitely a problem. The answer to which is... For most people, you should go to mastodon.social right. and join that one. Like That seems to be like the default instance that people are just joining as their first account. That's what I've joined. It's possible to move later, mm. uh, but the majority of people are just going there. So I would say if you want to research all the instances and try and figure out which is the perfect one for you, then great, do that. But if you just want to give it a shot and you don't want to think too much about all this instant stuff, you don't actually have to. You can just go to mastodon.social, sign up there and give it a go and take it from there. So mastodon.social for information has 205,000 users. Yes. So that's not many because, you know, popular Twitter, user, Twitter users have, you know, four times more than that in followers. That's true. And it definitely feels quieter. Mm. That is true. Like... I mean, for me right now, it's a it's a very different place to Twitter. Mm. I followed a few people. There are a few people that there's actually a, a, a I think it's bridge.mastodon.org or something like that. There's a, a site somewhere where you can click and you can uh, give it access to your Twitter account and it will go through and look for anybody who is on Mastodon already mm. and you can have the choice to add them. And I did that and it found like maybe... I don't know, six or seven people from all my Twitter followers, from all the people I follow on Twitter. Right. So not many, right? It looks like the mo the most popular instance is one called pawu.net, which is 401,000. Mm. And pawu is run by Pixiv, which is the Japanese, so that's the Japanese-based uh, one. Right, yeah. Mastodon seems to be reasonably big in Japan, although mostly with otaku, as far as I can tell. Yeah, so the just looking at the if you go to joinmastodon.org on the sign up section mm -hmm. it does have a little sort of convenient tool there to help you find an instance it says i am and you pull down this drop down and you have like artist musician writer book lover journalist activist mm. lgbtq plus black american sports fan gamer developer etc cetera, etc cetera. and so you for example if i chose musician then the top recommendation is mastodon.art which has 7000 people mm -hmm. And as you go down the list, it's sort of giving me recommendations of uh, different instances for musicians. But still, yeah, so these are not, for example, Mastodon.art, 7,000 people. That's not many. Mm -hmm. And again, I, yeah, just I think this is fantastic and I think it's great and I welcome these kinds of alternatives. But I'm just concerned about, well, two things. Firstly, how the average Twitter user who doesn't care and just wants to do this because their friends are doing it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that barrier for entry. I don't know. I don't understand what's an instance. I don't, I don't get it. Right. That's the first thing. The second thing is, for example, okay, so if you're not sure, go to mastodon.social, which is run by the developers of Mastodon. Mm-hmm. How do how does the funding work? Like how do how do they is is it going to end up the same way if everybody if there's this max mass exodus from Facebook and Twitter over to Mastodon.social mm-hmm. and now suddenly they have you know a hundred million users on their doorstep? Mm. That's that's a huge <laughs> yeah yeah. I mean they they would struggle with that. In fact, they have struggled a little bit with the the big peak they've had right in the last couple of weeks. Mm. They're funded mostly by Patreon, so it's it's sort of donation-based. Mm. But, so there's a couple of, of sort of mitigating factors. I do agree with you about the small numbers, by the way. That is, this is definitely nowhere near the scale where I think anybody can legitimately claim it's going to take over from Twitter. Mm. But I do think it ha- it feels like it's got a bit of movement mm. that most of these things that have happened in the past haven't felt like. Right. It may well just fizzle out. In fact, the chances are pretty high it will. Mm. But I quite like it. Mm. And I've already found a few people that I follow that I quite enjoy following on there. And so, you know, I think it's worth a try. Mm. Now, in terms of the um, getting overloaded thing, that actually happened a few days ago. Mastodon.social, tons of people were signing up and it became overloaded. And and the developer couldn't keep up with it. Right. So he, what he did was he left the page exactly as it was, except he changed the sign up to mastodon.social button to a sign up to something else button. <laughs> and clicking on that relinked to one of the other instances, okay. right? <laughs> he, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, he didn't try to lie about it or anything, mm-hmm. but it was very easy. Somebody who had been told just go here and sign up would still have been able to figure out what to do, right? Right? They would have ended up on a different instance, mm. but they would have they would have been able to use the service, and then, uh, and because it's federated like that, that can keep happening. Mm. Like in that sense, the thing I keep coming back to is it feels a bit more like email, mm. where I could choose to run my own Mastodon instance, and in fact, I am kind of considering doing that. Mm. So I could have like an at dpwrite.com Mastodon instance if I wanted to. Right. And that's kind of a reasonable thing to do just for yourself if you want to do that. Obviously, that's not going to be your everyday Twitter user doing that. Mm. But there is a kind of natural load balancing that happens there because all of the responsibility for maintaining the network does not sit on one company or one person, mm. right? When Twitter got popular they had really big scaling problems and had to rewrite all their code, which I think was originally in Ruby. And I think they changed it to Scala mm. as part of their switch over to try and and keep up with, with the stress that their servers were getting, right? Mm. That will and does happen to Mastodon as well. And I think the guy is, is trying to keep improving it from, from that point of view. Mm. But at the same time, if any one popular instance gets too popular and becomes overcrowded, it at least has the ability to overflow onto other instances, which is an advantage that Twitter didn't have because it's centralized. Yeah, the idea is good, but I'm just also thinking then if each one of these instances is allowed to implement their own policies, Mm -hmm. then 
what's stopping this from becoming commercialized? In which case, you'll get instances competing with each other to try and get more users mm -hmm. because for commercial reasons, for example, advertising or we have, you know, we have one million users on our instance. You need to sign up with us and mm -hmm. doing these kinds of uh, behind-the-scenes business contracts and stuff like that, basically to fund themselves to keep their instance going, which mm -hmm. is fair enough. For example, if you had DP right mastodon.dpwrite or whatever, and um, you were finding you were getting increasing popularity and you wanted to keep those people and you needed funding in order to do that to pay yourself to maintain your instance as well as all of the server costs and things like that, mm -hmm. then obviously as soon as you have a funding body coming in and say, oh, we'll fund you to help you keep this you know, a booming instance alive and in exchange for that, here are some commercial terms and then, then all of a sudden now it becomes this odd marketplace with people competing for users and it's even more confusing for the average person who's sort of entering this for the first time because their friends said, oh, nobody's on Twitter anymore. That's so 2018. Everybody's on Mastodon now. I don't know if that, any of that is a problem. I mean, firstly, if I made a deepwrite.com instance, it would just be for me. <laughs> it would be a private instance. I wouldn't be sort of intending for lots of people to join it. But that aside, if big companies start setting up instances and trying to persuade users to join their instance which, as you pointed out, is already mm. kind of the case in Japan. Like a lot of the Japanese users are, are on... Pawu. Yeah, Pawu, or the other one is the one run by Nico Nico Doga. Okay, really? Uh, that That's also pretty popular. But And, and then there's mstdn.jp is the other one, which I think right. is not commercial. But anyway, you know, these companies are trying to see if they can make something of it. I'm not really sure where their income would come from, but if mm. they can find a way... I don't really see why that would be a problem. Like because it's it's still this federation of different instances. So if you decide to join the Nico Nicodoga instance because when you join their instance you get some extra functionality on the website or something like that. They might mm. offer you something like that for example, or they might say join our instance, you'll get access to these videos on Nico Nicodoga that you can't have if you don't join it. But in return, you have to see ads mm. in your feed or something like that. I don't really know how possible that is, you know, the way Mastodon works. But let's say that it is and that happens. That seems fine to me. Like people who want to join that instance can join it. People who don't, don't have to. And probably one or two would become the big major players that everyone joins. I mean, you say it's confusing, but like it's the same as email, right? Most people just join Gmail and that's fine. And then some people like us join Fastmail and some people run their own servers and mm. the system kind of works. Wouldn't, like, isn't the end result of all of this basically the same as what Twitter currently is? Like, if you have the all of these instances competing with each other and the, the mass group of people, the, the, the ones that just don't care mm -hmm. and are using it uh, and switching over for, uh, let's say, simpler reasons... Simple reasons being, you know, they don't care so much about the politics or the... Right, right. The majority of people, will, if a big switchover happens, it will be because people's friends have gone or, right. you know, influencers, people whose content people want to read right. have moved over. And so they're just going to follow that person. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that too. But I mean, if they, yeah. if, if that happens then and you get this one massive, massive instance, let's call it Twitter instance, 
<laughs> just for the sake of <laughs> for the sake of ease <laughs> of understanding, you know, Fine. then then this one Twitter instance with you know several hundred million users on it mm-hmm. suddenly has this massive interest infrastructure to support. So they commercialize and have ads, and it kind of seems like it's going to end up being the same thing. Well, except that there's competition. Right. There are other instances. Okay. And so if they do something that people don't like, the idea of switching from Twitter to Mastodon now Mm. seems like a slightly unrealistic pie-in-the-sky idea, right? Right. I'm a little bit excited about it, and I know that it's unlikely, Mm. right? And for people who aren't even on it yet, it seems even less likely. Mm. But if you're already on one Mastodon instance, and that's sort of, there's something that you're not happy with, Mm. and there are all these other instances already around, it's like, and nothing to switch to another instance. There's already functionality to migrate all your followers across, mm. I think. And, you know, it's it's very easy to do that. And you don't cut yourself off from everyone you're already following. Like, it's not like if I left Twitter and decided to exclusively use Mastodon, I would no longer be able to read any Twitter content. Mm. But if you move from one Mastodon instance to another, you still have access to all everything that's happening on the first instance. You've just chosen to leave it. I see. Okay, so... <laughs> The, the next the next question which i think is going to prove the point of this argument is okay danny uh-huh. which one of these instances should i join <laughs> which one just is, join mastodon.social yeah, i was gonna say which one are you on <laughs> i'm on mastodon.social so i'm on i'm on mastodon.social and i've set up an instance for station 13 as well right so i'm gonna in the same way that the station 13 fm twitter account only tweets like episode updates and nothing else mm. I'm going to set up the Mastodon account to do the same thing. Okay. So I'll put all those links in the show notes. But but you, as a normal non-bot user, <laughs> I think, should just join Mastodon.social. Mm. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on. But this is this it is very interesting, and I'm excited by the idea of alternatives. And I think it's great yeah. that um, uh, Twitter has not so much competition, I suppose, but at least something to sit up and think. Oh, well, you know, we better we we better. Because I'm, I've mentioned it before, but I am somewhat confused by the corporate side of Twitter. Because you know, you sort of wonder what what are they doing over there all day? <laughs> because <Right. laughs> it, it doesn't, nothing changes very much except for the worse. It seems, you know, the right. the whole. Because um, uh, I've been using Twitter for a fair while, and I remember that way back when I first started using it, it was great. The, all of these different options for twitter interfaces mm. that is twitter apps for desktop or for um for mobile you know there were lots of different options and a lot of them had interesting different features and i think the key thing there is that the whole retweet and quote and all of those things actually came from third-party apps right that they they weren't actually built into twitter to begin with but these third-party apps the users started to do it, and then the third part, all of this came, you know, from the user base. So it was speak. a very natural kind of evolution. Yeah, there. and it's such a shame to see really excellent uh, apps that do a far better job at keeping, you know, a Twitter timeline very easily digestible, such as Tweetbot and mm-hmm. Twitterific are the two big ones that mm-hmm. I know of, uh, which are both really, really great. And if you're on Twitter and you're not using either of those, you should definitely try them out because they're so much nicer to use. <laughs> Although maybe not right now. Maybe not right now, yeah. At the <laughs> I'm end. not sure it's a wise investment at this point. That's right. Um, but, but the developers of both of those apps are on Mastodon, by the way. So if you want to know what they think about Mastodon and whether there are likely any Mastodon, uh, any Tootbots or mm. 
I don't know what the Tutorific would be called on Mastodon, but you could you can follow them there and see what they're thinking in real time. Masterific. It's getting this is getting dangerous. Masterific. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean that's. Uh, well, that, I mean I'm I'm very strange as we know, uh, and uh, but if the Twitterific people made a Twitterific like app for Mastodon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and said, okay, we're giving up on Twitter now, and now we're going to be focusing our efforts here. That would be actually mm. some incentive for me to also consider switching I over mean, as well. That would be a, a huge signal, I think, mm. and would represent, you know, a lot of people would join just because of that. I don't think that's particularly likely. The, I can't remember his name, but one of the tweetbot developers mm. made a few tweets about a week ago where he was sort of doing the math and he said just looking at the number of Mastodon users and thinking in terms of like the percentage that are likely to want to use a third party app in the first place. Well, there's no such thing as a first party app, but and and also the percentage of those that are going to want to pay for it because Tweetbot is not, you know, in app purchase or anything. You have to pay up front. You know, there's probably going to be a very small number and not worth the effort. Mm. That was last week. But then on Friday he was musing about what Tweetbot would be called if it was for Mastodon. Mm. Like he was like, Tootbot sounds like a fart app, but Donbot sounds. <laughs> so, so he's he's obviously mulling the idea over. I think there's we're a long way off a Tweetbot or even a Twitterific for Mastodon. I think mm. the best app that I've found, I've been using three apps so far: Amarok, Tootdon, and Toot with an exclamation mark at the end. So, what is the what do you do? Are, they, are these tweets or posts or, or what? They're toots? They're toots. Oh, jeez. They're toots. That's awful. <laughs> that is really awful. It's an elephant. They're toots. There's nothing, uh, nothing that sort of, uh, yeah, I, I, I really, I'm not a big fan of this necessity for tech startups to create their own vocabulary. Like I, when I'm looking at sort of, for example, like uh, project management software is guilty of it. Social media is obviously guilty of it, of it, but mm. sort of, um, you know, welcome to our service. So when you're doing the tutorial, the 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 uh, introductory tutorial, you know, a a something rather is called a something rather, and when you something, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is something. It's like why? Yeah. What? What's? Yeah. Again, like I don't know whether the developers of this like purposefully decided to do that. Tweet was a word I think that was invented by the Twitterific developers. They did not. Twitter didn't invent that. Wow. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Well, yeah, the noun came later. Mm. The verb to tweet mm. was, I think, the Twitterific guys, because Twitter called it Twittering. Ah, okay. See, now that that has got to make the uh, this whole API change sting even more for the Twitterific. I mean, Twitterific, they were so early on in the development of Twitter. Like, they were there right on day one, pretty much. And constantly just making the service better mm. like all their ideas improved it <laughs> it's right. a shame they didn't develop twitter <laughs> i think um i think icon factory is the name of the company that does twitterific by the way right but yeah yeah, yeah actually sorry. um twitter in itself uh even though it is my social media platform of choice just because the alternatives i don't like but um twitter itself that word twitter and to tweet and retweet mm-hmm. it's it's awful i think i'm kind of used to it now because you know it's it's quite you know it's it's common and obviously you use it a lot if you're on social media mm-hmm. but really tweet come on i mean that is that is just awful <laughs> i i i don't care toot i i've a lot of people have toot. have complained about that to me in the past toot i mean 
<laughs> Toot has obvious issues with it. On the other hand, the, the equivalent of retweeting is called boosting, which I actually think oh, that's, is better than that's retweet. Good. Yeah, that's, so, that's good. See, that, yeah. that's much more... So they're kind of like, but it balances out because toot is worse than tweet. I'll give you that. Right. Toot. <laughs> but boost is better than retweet, yeah. I think. That, that so, is, yeah. See, that, that I approve of because boost is, is easily understandable what it is you're actually doing. Right. Whereas retweet, like if somebody never really used Twitter before, like retweet, what 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 is that? That's not even a word. But um, boost is good. But toot, what's wrong with post? Like I guess maybe that's face. <laughs> that's too Facebooky nowadays. Post, perhaps I don't know. I don't know. I I mean I, I really don't care. Anyway, toot, yeah, <laughs> is. No, is, I'm going to call uh, it now. It's still in beta, but it's very good. It's the best of the three, <laughs> I'm gonna, I think. I'm going to call it now, Danny. It's never going to take off. Not with that vocabulary. Toot. <laughs> it's just <laughs> awful. Uh, maybe, maybe like, let's see, it's supposed to be elephants, right? I, that is what everyone said about the Wii, to be fair. <laughs> the Nintendo Wii. Like, yeah, but that's ridiculous. Nobody will ever buy it. It's called a Wii. Yeah, that's Nintendo, though. I mean, think of the, 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 the <laughs> massive kind of legacy and the, the, the marketing power behind that company. And then you've you, no toot, no it's not. Oh well, happy happy tooting. I'll see you over there as soon as the Twitter Frick guys say something about it. Then I'll I'll probably join up. Right. So just to explain what I mentioned earlier on this show, the last two weeks I've been on holiday, and um, I uh, kind of not by choice, but just sort of decided not to look at social media or, or really my computer or email very much, you know, checking notifications mm. for anything important, but just basically switching everything off. Sounds good. Where Were you going away for your holiday? So I had, yeah, in the two weeks, the first week, I went with my family to Vamland, mm. Vermland, mm. which is translated to warm land. And, uh, ah, sounds ideal. Yeah, that's right on the west side of uh, Sweden, quite uh, close to the border of Norway. Mm. And um, fortunately, Vamland is not was not very warm, which is a good thing because uh, two weeks ago Sweden was right thick in the middle of a a fairly uh, unusually cataclysmic heat wave. Mm. It was so bad that actually they had to shut down one of the nuclear reactors because the seawater was no longer cool enough to cool it. Oh, wow. Oh, dear. And that oh. created like a, a whole range of sort of electrical instabilities around the place. Yeah. Um, Sweden's electrical system is a bit unusual. Basically, you have nuclear power and you have all of the, you know, excellent green power like uh, hydro and wind and solar. Mm all contributing to the one pool of electricity. And you pay two electricity bills in Sweden. You pay one to one of the large grid management companies that manages the distribution of the electricity. Mm -hmm. And then you pay uh, a second bill, basically paying one of the suppliers of electricity to that grid. Mm. So you're basically paying maintenance and supply. Okay. And in our case... So in our case, we run, th we uh, have our electricity, the supply, we pay a company called Nordic Green, mm. which allows me to choose what kind of electricity I would like supplied. So in our case, we're choosing a mixture of pure solar, hydro and wind mm, power, mm -hmm. which is great. But we're, like technically, it's all coming from the same pool of electricity. So uh, just because we're paying Nordic Green, our money goes to Nordic Green to help them supply the main grid with their sources of electricity. Oh, I see. But by, but by choosing those those things, 
presumably is it a little bit more expensive but you're a little, a little bit being good is that the trade-off yeah, yeah. actually i mean the, the great thing about uh this is not a paid endorsement but the great thing about nordic green is not that expensive all right to go 100 percent green like that mm. uh which which i think is fantastic because i'm mm. I, I love the idea of uh um you know uh electricity sourced from such wonderful renewable sources as wind water and mm-hmm. sun but anyway um i mean it doesn't mean that the actual electricity that's powering a house is purely those sources because it all goes in the same pool and so right obviously it's all mixed together if nordic green gets more customers then they get to produce more of that electricity with more better resources which will eventually help to reduce the amount that the actual electricity feeding the city is supplied by non-environmentally friendly resources such as nuclear but uh Anyway, all that to say that this heat wave was causing a whole range of electrical instabilities, including three or four uh, blackouts, which is not really what you want in the middle of a heat wave in Sweden, where inside, I mean, these houses are designed to keep heat in. Mm. So it's really hot inside. <laughs> it, was, it was actually not so bad outside, mm-hmm. basically sort of 30, 31, mm. and quite dry. So outside... For example, in the shade, it's actually, yeah, quite nice. It's just inside mm. is, is fairly torturous. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I'd mentioned previously that there was a citywide shortage on electric fans. Yes. Because um, everybody was buying them. Anyway, yeah. luckily, Vamland was not very Vam. It was quite, <laughs> it was quite, uh, <laughs> quite uh, um, cool. So that was nice. So uh, we stayed in a little kind of uh, rental hut on the edge of a of a lake, mm. which is really nice, and visit some friends and did some nice stuff. And that was actually the first time that we have left metropolitan Stockholm. So mm. it was nice to see oh, nice. some of the Swedish countryside. It's nice. And then, uh, so the second week, which has been the week that's ending today as we record this, I've been, yeah, basically uh, doing the dad duties with the kids here at home. And uh, mm. yeah, it's been very, very exhausting. <laughs> mm. It's kind of this... Uh, in this awkward position I am because I start work again tomorrow. Normally, you come to the end of the holiday sort of thinking, yep, yeah, you know, I've I've had a good holiday and I think I'd like to get back to my routine now. And, mm-hmm. you know, you may feel a bit sort of rejuvenated and ready to get back to the, to the grind. <laughs> I'm in a very complicated position because I have a four-year-old and a nine-year-old. Mm. And um, that's taken a fair chunk of energy out of me for this past week. And so I'm just sort of really tired and not really feeling like doing anything Mm -hmm. at the moment, despite having to start work tomorrow. However, uh, what I have managed to do over the past week in the evenings mostly is get a good, good chunk of work done on my New Year's resolution. Oh, what was your New Year's resolution again? My New Year's resolution was to start a music project. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so how's that going? So, yes, the working title for the music project, which I think I might have mentioned before, was Alien Skies and Bionic Eyes. (laughs) Yes, I remember. Yes. And uh, our songs, so we have the first song. Uh, I have finished the tracking of the first song, Mm -hmm. and I'm currently thick into the mixing of this massive beast. Mm -hmm. How long is it? It's five minutes long. Five minutes. And what I actually did, so the the premise here was, just to recap, uh, the premise was that uh, it's a collaborative project between myself and a friend in America who is an excellent writer. Mm-hmm. And I challenged him, I tasked him with creating short stories under 200 characters. Mm. And each one of these short stories will be 
chronologically linked together mm-hmm. with uh, differing amounts of time that pass in between each one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of them may be, like, for example, an, act- an action sequence, which is 200 characters long, mm. uh, may be followed immediately by something that happens right afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, something that is more broad in the the, the storyline may be followed by weeks or years or, you know, generations in between different mm-hmm. segments. But it'll all be basically moving forward in the chronological timeline. Okay, I see. Yeah. The original idea was to have this storyline not only as a catalyst for the music, but also just a little something else for people to uh, enjoy and to latch onto. Mm. And also, yeah, it really... Uh, uh, Short stories are great, but really short stories are even better mm. because they, by their nature, they have to leave a huge amount to your imagination. Right. And that is amazing fun to work with when you're creating the music because, I mean, it is my imagination, but you, you have this massive, massive palette of things that the reader could be imagining Mm. And you are trying to complement that and to um, augment that and to improve, you know, that experience of what they're seeing in their mind's eye as they read uh, this uh, short story. Mm. To, I think to help the the accessibility of this idea, uh, my partner and I, we decided to actually incorporate the services of a, prof- of a professional voice actor. Oh, so I uh, have worked with a few voice actors in game work before for the game projects that I've mm-hmm. done. Uh, and mm. one particular one I knew could really, really nail something very good for this project. So mm. I reached out to him and he's on board. So I've had him record this first 200-character uh, story for this first song, mm-hmm. and that's gone into the track, and it sounds really good. So you're set... Oh, I see. So I had sort of imagined that they were sort of just separate things, and, and a listener may choose to listen to the music and read it at the same time or may read it separately and listen to it separately or whatever but you're actually you've got a narrator essentially reading this 200 word story and you have to set the music then i suppose to be more or less in in time with that then so that the you know when there are moments of action in the story there's there's action in the music as well right that's right it's not 200 words though it's 200 characters oh characters oh sorry so that makes it basically two or three sentences right and setting that into the music is very easy because you have, you have another number of options. You can do it at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You can do it sort of dispersed through the track, which is what I've done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, uh, I was a little bit concerned that nobody would read the story. <laughs> basically, um, <laughs> Or it would just sort of, you know, float past and you wouldn't really take any notice of mm-hmm. it. But, you know, mm-hmm. the, my friend's writing is so good. I just felt that, you know, with this... To do this service, we have to have it in the song, so you are mm-hmm. you're listening to the narrator. It's very um, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's actually specifically uh, the accent that I asked this voice actor to do was to do was that transatlantic, mid Atlantic accent, mm-hmm. uh, and it it it's really really great. Like his uh, performance is superb. Oh, uh, and. Yep, I have it in the song now, and uh, so is this. How is this going to become available for viewing, uh, listening at some point? Yeah. So the next step is I'm in the mix process right now, so that will take. I mean, we're, there's no rush really, as long as we finish one song this year, then, my, <laughs> then the objective is is seen to. But um, the songs have names that are numbers. Mm. So this first song is four zero zero one. The next song may be four zero zero four 
or maybe 4006 or who knows but anyway okay. 4001 is the first song and uh the next step after i finish mixing mixing is um i'll uh, have it mastered uh, there's a a mastering engineer in london that i work with mm-hmm. who's uh, done a lot of um great work for me in the past mm-hmm. and then we would like to also wrap this up in a nice sort of graphic design package as well. Mm-hmm. That's going to take a little bit of time because we do not want the graphics for the music, for example, the album art, you know, the song mm-hmm. art that you see on SoundCloud or mm-hmm. or Bandcamp or whatever. We don't want that to influence what people are imagining when they listen to the music and hear the words. Mm-hmm. So it can't contain pictures of any kind. It can't be illustrative it needs to be right, more right. De- something like abstract. Or yeah, something. exactly. It needs to be more depictive rather than illustrative, right. and so that's going to take quite a long time to to nail uh, something that you know we feel is befitting. Mm. The also the name of the project. Mm-hmm. I mean, I quite like Alien Skies and Bionic Eyes, but it's very long. It's quite long. Yeah, we may just go with Alien Skies because I think that's really cool, and it's like a. I think that's better. I don't know if it's uh, available or not, but. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the next step. So I, I would say you get alien alienski.es. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good one. We could get alienski.se the and have it a Swedish domain because that would be alien skies. Yeah, that makes that that, that sort of yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, so anyway, that's the next step. So the next step would be the the presentation of it. Mm. And then once everything's together, which I would say will be another uh, few months, I suppose. I'm not really sure about uh, the marketing aspect, like what, which one will focus on? Uh, probably Bandcamp and Twitter, I guess. Mastodon. Mastodon. There you go. Toot, toot, toot <laughs> it out to the masses. Right. The yeah, masses. Yeah. Four four hundred thousand of them. Retoot of you a Groot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I I I have a small glimmer of hope for Mastodon now that I hear that their idea of retweeting is called boosting. Because I think that's very good. Right. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so that is my uh, that's an update on my New Year's resolution. Very good. Oh, that's exciting! I, my New Year's resolution, uh, my deadline is a bit closer than yours because you've got the whole year, obviously. But mine mine had a September deadline, which means it's coming up. What was it? Because I'll be going to Spain. Oh, that's right. Mine was to to learn Spanish and be able to converse, not necessarily comfortably, but like so that I'm at least not totally boring mm. to talk to. By the time I go to Spain in September, I've got a feeling I might not meet this New Year's resolution. Which part of it? The, the Spanish part or the going to Spain part? No, going to Spain I'm definitely doing. But the Spanish part, I feel like I can now pretty comfortably read a book. Like I, my book that I'm reading in bed, my you know novel that I read before bed that at the moment is in Spanish. Mm. And I'm reading it fairly comfortably. It's on the Kindle so I can sort of tap on a word to get the definition if I don't know. Mm. Uh, but I can, you know, mostly it's just fairly light reading and I don't have to concentrate too hard. So that's not too bad. Mm. And I do pretty well in tests, like all this sort of Anki and, and all that that I've been doing it means that I, I've got a pretty good understanding of grammar and, and reasonable amount of vocabulary that with some effort I can recall. Mm. But I just haven't had the opportunity to practice speaking very much. Mm. And so I'm still extremely extremely awkward in in speech so i think we'll see how it goes maybe i'll go there and it'll take a little bit of warming up and then i'll kind of you know get into the flow of it Mm. but i i suspect that that speaking which was the specific thing i wanted to do uh is going to be tricky to 
to fix in the next month. Mm. Yeah, be careful with that. I mean, I think uh, I remember when I was in language education that the, the big problem in Japan, of course, is that there's a huge rift between people's academic knowledge and their practical ability, mm. just mm. simply because they have so much academic knowledge pumped into them in the education system. Um, mm. And so few actual practical opportunities to really apply any of that, that right. you get this kind of paralysis situation where when the actual situation comes, they can understand what you're saying in English because the academic side of their brain is kicking in and they recognize the words and can put it together and formulate what it is you're saying. But when it comes mm. their turn to say anything, it's just like, you know, complete uh, um, deer in the headlights kind of situation. Like, right. where do right. I start? Like, uh, um, right. And so that's a that is a something that I'm a little bit uh, concerned with at the moment with my efforts with Duolingo, which mm. by the way are going very well. I'm really oh, yeah? I'm really enjoying it. It's um, it's actually really really great. Yeah. So actually, interesting. Speaking of Duolingo, I wanted to know what the experience was like, so I tried it in Spanish, but my Spanish is already kind of a little bit like I I answered every question right in the test. And it's still, still the stuff it's supposedly teaching me is like, I think it's, you know, it's not, it's not the right thing for where I am with Spanish. Like we were just saying, the thing I need to practice in Spanish is speaking. Mm. And so Duolingo isn't giving me that, right? Mm. So, but I still wanted to know what it was like for you, what it was like to use as a tool Mm. for learners at the beginning stages of the language. Mm. So I started German. <laughs> nice one. So I, I've actually been studying German for the last two weeks. <laughs> That's great. I don't really intend to like learn German to fluency, but it's a good way to get a feel for what Duolingo is like. Right. And it's been really interesting. I see now, uh, when we spoke about it last time, I had a totally incorrect preconception of what it actually was. Okay. I thought it was like just another flashcard tool like Memorize or Anki mm. or something like that. And it is actually quite different. So having gone and had a go with it now, I understand what you were saying mm. last time we spoke much better. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's excellent. I, it's, it's quite fun. It's light. Uh, it's sort of low commitment, mm. but high productivity. You know, you, you feel, uh, sorry, high effectiveness, I should say, mm. for the amount of time that you put into it. However, the, the, the area that I'm concerned about is just what I just mentioned, whereas that I'm feeling maybe I might be creating a rift for myself between what I'm actually able to say to a Swedish person standing in front of me mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the acade- academic mm. knowledge. Because sometimes I feel that in the context of Duolingo, I can be quite advanced mm. from my level. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm an absolute beginner, but let's say sort of high beginner mm. in the context of Duolingo. So doing the actual actions and tasks that Duolingo right. asks of me. It's actually quite hard to get things wrong in Duolingo because there's such a small palette of available words. Right. So, And it's often obvious that you're looking for a noun or something, right. which limits it even more. So, so. Yeah, so th- a few things there. If you do it on the browser version, mm-hmm. you can turn off that choose the word thing and actually have it so that you have to type things in. Oh, really? Oh, okay. The other thing is that as you go up, you you may have already found, but um, at least in the Swedish course, Mm -hmm. when you get up to like level four or level five of each lesson, Mm -hmm. there's much fewer of those, you know, insert the right words. Oh, I see. And and it's actually type this in Sweden, uh, in Swedish. Right, in Swedish. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, so that's one of the things about Geolingo that I found a little bit that I struggle to understand a little bit, which is 
it's not that obvious at any point where you're supposed to go next. Yeah. Like, I've been trying to clear all the lessons. Mm. So I haven't gone up beyond level one on any lesson. Right. I'm just, I'm going down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. So that's um, uh, that is one thing that's a bit confusing. So mm. I found that too. Basically, I have gone to like level four on every lesson and just said, okay, that's enough. Essentially, I oh, see so you've done sort of the opposite to me. You're going deep, yeah, rather than broad. Yeah, so basically, right. um, uh, doing it until I feel like I know it. Mm-hmm. You, uh, and then you may have noticed that the lessons do fairly cleverly build upon each other. So. As yeah, you yeah. go to the next lesson, you will get elements of the previous one that come up. Mm. But I think the idea of, um, as, yes, as you said, it would be nice to either give the user some kind of indication that there are six lessons and you've done four of them. Right. Or right. give some kind of instruction to say that, you know, you don't have to do to the end. You can basically move on to the next lesson when you feel you know this right. well enough. Or, or a suggestion about what would be a good idea to do next. Right. Like... You know, you've got lots of options, and it's totally free which option you choose. Mm. But we think now would be a good time to go and maybe go back to the first topic you did and advance to the next lesson. And that. so like, that you know, something like that. That is where the companion app Tiny Cards complements it nicely, mm. because in Tiny Cards, all of those lessons are available there, mm-hmm. and they give you the vocabulary from the lessons in Duolingo. Right. But not only that, there's like this training button that you just press and it will just randomly choose one of the ones that you've already done uh, and give you right. just sort of a... Randomly or with like spaced repetition magic, like memorizing angles? As far as I can see, randomly. So basically, if I've if okay. I've tried level one, two, and three in tiny cards and I press the training button, mm-hmm. it will just choose one of those from levels one, two, and three. I don't think it's got oh, huge see. smarts behind it like, uh, like the other apps. Okay. Anyway, okay. so yeah, I... I would say uh, uh, don't feel bad. If your goal is to speak Spanish, then there's only one cure for that, and that is to actually speak it. But having a a strong academic foundation to begin with is good, but as long as it doesn't Mm -hmm. become so powerful that when you you actually get to Spain and you're standing in the restaurant... Looking at looking at a waiter with a menu in your hands, <laughs> and you're freezing. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like the the being able to do well with tests kind of side of things is is that much of a disadvantage. Mm. The only time it 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 feels like a disadvantage to me is when you meet some people who've studied a language very hard, and they speak this very stilted, yeah, uh, formal version, like textbook version of that language, and they don't. Mm pick up on any of the mannerisms or nuances of of native speakers you know Mm. and i i I try and avoid that Mm. but that's not really the problem that i'm having at the moment the problem that i have is just sheer lack of practice that i just haven't really had the opportunity to speak very much yeah the saddest you just your example there reminded me of the saddest um saddest proof of the rift for japanese people between their practical ability and the intellectual capability Mm. was uh, i remember I worked for a company that had a we, – we did corporate English education and we had a contract with uh, Kyoto University mm. with one of their science labs and we were basically um, uh, contracted to teach some of their um, postgraduate research students English. Mm. And postgraduate research students have an extremely high level of academic English because they have to read mm-hmm. and write their reports – papers and reports mm. for journals all in English. Mm. So the actual ability to write something in English and read to a very high level of complexity 
with very, very specific vocabulary is extremely strong. Mm. So because of that, the most popular language test, language ability test for English in Japan is called TOEIC, mm -hmm. which is T-O-E-I-C, which is, which is the test of English for international communication, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, and I used to teach TOEIC uh, as part of the work that I used to do. But anyway, uh, I remember that the maximum score that you can get in TOEIC is 990. Mm -hmm. This this all might have changed now because this is all like, you know, 10 years ago. There was a big controversy about TOEIC about five or six years ago as well because there was a lot of, there was a lot of inflating of the marks. And then the um, the UK government for its immigration, it requires a certain level of English. And they previously accepted TOEIC, but at least for a year or two, I'm not sure if it's still the case, they actually stopped accepting TOEIC as a qualification. Yeah. And if you were Japanese and you'd, you'd got your TOEIC qualification and you wanted to get a, a, a visa in the UK, you had to go and take another exam because they wouldn't accept TOEIC. Yeah, I remember that other exam is called IELTS, I-E-L-T-S. Oh, yes. um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. yeah, 990 for TOEIC um, is the maximum score, or it was mm -hmm. when I was doing it. I have no idea what how, what has changed now, but... Uh, mm. For your information, I took TOEIC myself because <laughs> I had mm -hmm. to teach it, uh, so I thought I should take it myself. <laughs> I scored 970. <laughs> That's because oh. I fell asleep halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fell asleep halfway through the test, so I kind of missed a few less. Oh TOEIC is very time intensive when you take it, but it's all mm -hmm. reading uh, and you know multiple choice, mm -hmm. sort of reading comprehension and multiple choice. Anyway, the sad thing that I remember at Kyoto University is that you'd have these students who you know, when they come to the course, they have like 985 and 990 for TOEIC, mm -hmm. which is an incredible achievement. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you, you'd sort of think that somebody like that you could you could have a conversation with, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. But, yeah, I just remember these sad, awkward situations with these academics who have this incredible ac academic intellectual prowess in English, mm -hmm. just unable to, you know, put together a basic conversation. Yeah. And... I think the, you know, granted, their objective for English is not to have conversations. Right. You know, right. so fair enough, you know, if they can do what they need yeah. to do in English very well, very well, then, you know, that's great. And we were there to help them bring up the practical aspect of it because they often needed to go overseas to present their papers right. and take questions from the floor. Mm -hmm. So that's why we were contracted to help them. And, but, uh, yeah, it's just sort of a, that was a, a stark kind of uh, mm. example of that rift between practical ability and, and knowledge. So one thing to be wary of when you're learning a language. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no substitute for, for speaking. But I, I don't think the thing to be wary of is doing too much study or getting too much academic knowledge, right? The, the thing to be wary of is thinking that that is going to count for anything yeah. when it comes to having an actual conversation mm. right and if you're if you're not getting conversation practice if you're choosing if you've got the choice between like practicing speaking to a native speaker with your voice like normal conversation practice or sitting studying verb tables and stuff and you always choose the latter mm. that's obviously a problem yeah but most of the time that's that's not like the way it works and all the study is good and it's worthwhile and it's a good foundation mm. but it's just you've got to know that that is just a foundation yeah. and it won't you know the actual getting good will come from, from talking. Yeah, and that's the tough part for the majority of japanese english learners because they face two challenges 
The first one is that actual real opportunities to use English in a dynamic real situation with native speakers are very rare. Mm. And the second problem that they face is that the industry around English education in Japan is so built up. And like most industries and most commercial sectors in Japan, there's so much there. Mm -hmm. You know, know, if you imagine, like, for example, you want to get into radio-controlled cars, you know, you can imagine that the depth that that commercial sector goes in in a place like Japan, it's the same in industry, you know, uh, sorry, in in the English English, education industry, that... um, there's so much there as far as materials and courses and companies and, you know, resources. But it it's sort of – there's a little danger of it being a little bit brainwashing because mm. it makes it seem like, for example, the example that I can remember giving to the students that I had at the time very often was if you want to learn to play tennis – you're not going to get good by just looking at tennis magazines and watching tennis matches and, you know, <laughs> buying the right shoes and buying the right, right rackets. Right, right. And, yeah, it's a, it's a very similar thing. But uh, but those are all completely valid things to do. <laughs> I, they're all great. They're all good. I, I mean, uh, what is it you say in Japanese? Katachi karai? Yeah, that's it. Like the, you, you get in with the, the shape first, right. right? I understand, like... I think I'm kind of a similar person, right? When I get a new hobby, I want to start by buying all the gear, right? right? You know what I mean? And I may just give up on the hobby a few months down the line and I've wasted some money or I may get really into it and then the gear will have been worth having. Mm. But like, I can understand that feeling. Mm. The The thing you have to be careful of is it's very easy to mistake spending money on something mm. for having actually achieved something yeah, yeah the classic <laughs> like i've bought a load of latin and greek books i have not read them. right i think as long as there's that understanding that you are basically yeah. wasting your time it's great to enjoy the mystique and the romance of what you're doing mm. that's fantastic and it's great fun and why not life is short have fun do what you like mm. but the the I, like the classic example of this that i can remember was like a when I um, first got to Japan in 1999, I'd just come from China. Mm. And in China, basically, there was not much to do except play table tennis every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my table tennis partner was actually the uh, writer who's, uh, who I'm collaborating with on this Alien Skies oh, project. I see. It was him. So yeah. we're very long-time friends. But anyway, so when I went to Japan, I wanted to find opportunities to continue playing table tennis. And table tennis tables tended to be lumped in centers together with billiard snooker pool tables uh-huh and <laughs> i can remember this this one guy that i saw once you know he he was he came in i was playing table tennis with a friend and there he was mm. he came in this is like a sort of like um somewhere in west japan this sort of bowling alley slash pool hall slash table tennis sort of recreation uh-huh. center definitely not not a classy establishment, you know, it's like very, very <laughs> blue collar, uh, you know, right. um, right. and he was this guy, he came in with like these shiny black shoes and these black slacks all nice and pressed and this black vest oh. and this white shirt. And he had like the, um, rolled up the white shirt sleeves with these, uh, like this metallic elastic clips that keep your sleeves up. Oh yeah. yeah. You, you know? Um, and then know. he had like, um, he sort of stood there and he had the slicked hair and he was by himself uh-huh. and he had he opened uh-huh. he pulled out his leather billiard his leather cue bag unzipped it loudly mm-hmm. 
and sort of looking around to check to see who's looking at him. I don't exaggerate. This is exactly what happens. <laughs> Checking out to see who's looking at him. He's uh-huh. screwing together his cue because the real pros use cues that screw together. Yeah. And, and uh, takes out of his pocket this pristine blue chalk block uh-huh. and starts sort of over the course of like a few minutes getting the perfect, perfect layer of film uh-huh. of chalk onto his, his, the tip of his cue. Uh-huh. And then he spends like 20 minutes lining up the table in for snooker. Right. So, you know, I mean, that's a serious, serious, you know, pool player's sport Sports. is snooker. Yeah. And, yeah. and <laughs> I, I kid you not, no exaggeration. Like I had to just watch like this guy, he's either going to be really great or really awful. <laughs> and sadly for the guy, like he, he was the perfect picture of the professional snooker player. But... Yeah, like the first shot, he just drove that cue right into the felt. <laughs> oh, he actually, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was like clear. And he, and he was like cursing. It's like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. You know, <laughs> like, like checking out to see, <laughs> checking out to see if anybody uh, had noticed that he just sort of, he's playing by himself, like to practice, I guess. Right. right and that right, was right. like, uh, I can remember saying to my friend, I was like, wow, check that guy out. And then that's when my friend said, yeah, that's Katachi Karahairu. Like that guy's like yeah. getting into snooker through the, uh, through the exits, so to speak. Right, right. <laughs> you know, he's entering the building from the way that you usually go out of it. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so, yes, anyway, good memories. 